Looking for an extraordinary coffee? Look no further than Heartwork Coffee. With eight years of excellence and proudly roasting in the vibrant city of San Diego, California, visit heartworkcoffeebar.com to explore a wide range of single origin and blended coffees to suit your taste preference. On a personal note, co-founder Rob Moran has played in so many bands that have inspired me personally, like Unbroken and Some Girls, for example, and it's been amazing watching Heartwork thrive all these years. The coffee is amazing, and I'm thrilled to support this company. Once again, visit heartworkcoffeebar.com to place an order. That is H-E-A-R-T, work, coffeebar.com. Welcome to the first ever podcast. My name is Jeremy Bohm. I am your host. And if this is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. My guest this week for episode 147 is Marissa Shire, or as you may know her, Mercy. She has a brand new record called You're Alone, which came out back in February. She is also the vocalist in the band Fleshwater. They dropped a record last year called We're Not Here to Be Loved on Closed Casket, and they actually start a European slash UK tour tomorrow alongside the band Koyo. They're both playing Outbreak Festival and then have just dates in uh, Europe and UK around that. Man, I wish I was going to Outbreak. That is the best festival. That might be the best festival I've ever played. So jealous of everybody who gets to experience that this summer. Um, I want to let you know that there's a bonus episode with Marissa available right now. If you head on over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon, where Marissa answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. Uh, you can subscribe for as little as $3 a month and get access to that. Um, speaking of tour, I am currently on tour in Europe. Tonight we are playing in Prague at the Futurum music bar we're playing with Boneflower, just about the best band in the entire world and then uh on the 23rd we're going to be playing in the netherlands at jera on air then uh on the 24th in munster at Vainstream rock fest and then if i'm going to not completely butcher this we're going to be playing grafenheinigen germany at the full force festival and then we get back to playing a club show on the 27th in austria in wien so that is this week's show's all right, without further ado, here is my conversation with the awesome Marissa Shire. Good morning, Marissa. It's nice to see you. Good morning. How are you feeling? I'm good. Are How you, are you feeling? I'm good. Are you, are you in California right now or are you on the East Coast? I'm actually in Massachusetts. Okay, nice. Yeah. How's I do the, miss California, though. When was the last time you were out here? For the children, so probably December, yeah. Okay, okay. Did you guys play, right? Fleshwater played? Yes, we did. How was your For the Children experience? It was fun. I've been going to that fest for a very long time, I think since the first one. Oh, wow. So it was really cool to be able to play it. <laughs> yeah. Was that the first time Fleshwater has played California, or have you played out here yet? No, that was the first time. Wow, wow. How did yeah. That, yeah, how did it feel? It was awesome. Honestly, I was really excited because I'm born and raised Los Angeles. Yeah. So it was really cool to bring the project or the band that I've been working on so hard to my hometown. It was a weird concept that we had never played there for right. me. For them, they're probably like, oh, it makes sense. But sure. Yeah, did it, it was did, awesome. Did you have any family or, or like close friends there that came out just to see you play that? My parents aren't really necessarily like showgoers, sure. <laughs> so they didn't come, but my friends all got to come. Um, 
and that was cool. I was happy that they got to go to that. A lot of my friends, you know, um, don't even go to shows regularly. So it was a really random experience for them, but it was, it was cool to have them there. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so where in the, where in LA are you actually from? You're like from the Valley, right? You're like a Valley kid. Yes. I'm from the Valley. Um, yeah, I, I do. The one thing I miss about it the most, I'd say is the food. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's very, I'm assuming very different from where you are in Massachusetts. I'm sure the Mexican food is, uh, is maybe not so hitting there. Mm-mm. There's broccoli in the burritos here. What? SOS. <laughs> SOS. Oh my God. Yeah, it's a really different change. It's hard for me to find good food out here, I will say. But if you like seafood, I could imagine it being good, but I'm not a huge seafood head. Right. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, you can get a like a, a killer lobster roll, I'm sure. But yeah. The, uh, yes, exactly. Um so where in the where in the valley are you? Were you like Van Nuys, Reseda? Like where are you? I was I'm from Burbank, so oh, cool so you're born i'm raised born and raised yeah born and raised here cool yeah, it's rare that yep <laughs> there you go exactly yeah. same 818 so i was born in tarzana hospital so okay. tarzana um but i kind of grew up until around eight or ten in sherman oaks okay um and then eventually moved to tarzana got it um yeah so pretty much hung out in that little nook of things like Reseda, van nuys woodland hills Right, right, right. Did you Noga Park? <laughs> had you mo- had you lived anywhere else before you ended up on Ma- in Massachusetts, or have you always just been California? Always California. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it yeah, was yeah. a big change. Huge change. Yeah, all of a sudden you get snow. Oh yeah, not you. <laughs> I remember my first. I'm going to tell you a little funny thing. Yeah, my first time experiencing snow in Massachusetts. I assumed it was like jumping into a pile of leaves. I saw a big pile of snow, and I was like, I'm going to jump in that. And I ran and I jumped and I slid and my head just went and bounced off the ice. Oh, that's Concussion. Yeah, that's that's no good. That's no good. I learned quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's it's not your friend. It's not your friend most of the time. No, no, no. I um, it. So let me ask you this. The first thing I usually ask musicians is when you were growing up, what was the first thing that you remember connecting with musically that felt like it was yours? Maybe not something that was being played in the house by parents or or uh, people you were raised with, but, you know, something that you found that kind of gave you a sense of identity? Hmm. So that's a tough one um, because there's a lot of little experiences, you know, where, I mean, when I was really young, <laughs> I loved, like, the Disney music and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but as I got older, I remember being around 16 um, I know that that's a little old for like my first time really connecting with music, but I remember my first band played a show at the Cobalt Cafe, mm, which okay. I'm sure you're familiar with. Oh, I sure am. And I hadn't really gone to shows at that point ever. And there was this band that played and I had this sensation come over me that I had never felt before. And I was like, whoa, this and I still... They were called The Victorship. I don't know if you'd heard of them. No, I don't know them. Um, well, they play, They op- more, we opened for them that night. But I just remember I was like, wow. And I really connected with it. Yeah. And um, I ended up walking up to them after and talking to them. And we became friends. And they kind of took me under their ropes and showed me a lot of the ways of my early music life. So... Uh- I, it's funny you mentioned Disney, and I feel like Disney doesn't even really get talked uh, a whole ton on on here. I, I've, I've heard people mention, you know, like like growing up on like musicals or or things like that. But um, I'm curious, who were your, what were your Disney movies as a kid? Like, what was the thing that you were connecting with the most? Were you into Aladdin? Were you into Little Mermaid? What was your jam? Honestly, okay, I don't. I haven't watched them in a very long time, but my mom told me I obsessively watched The Lion King. Okay. <laughs> she said that I would watch it like multiple times a week. Oh. Um, but yeah, I mean, I obviously, <laughs> this is so funny, but I would watch like Disney Channel and stuff like that. And I really liked a lot of the singers on there. I mean, I'm, I've always been into singing. Mm-hmm. So whenever I could find a good female vocalist, whether it being a Disney singer a Broadway singer, um, 
a Disney Channel singer, like anything, I was like immediately hooked. I'm like, I need to know more and try and attempt what they're doing. <laughs> sure. So you you realize at a very young age that you were able to sing. Were you like putting any sort of like choir? Did you have to like do the church singing stuff or anything like that? I definitely did. I wasn't, um, I didn't go to church or anything, but I definitely joined like every choir I could in elementary school. I would try to get the solos and like the group thing. Yeah. <laughs> group performance or I don't know. I just always really liked singing. My dad was a musician. So at a very young age, he could tell that I was liking it too. So he signed me up for lessons when I was like five years old for piano at first but then eventually he noticed I liked singing more so he would he threw me into some lessons for that too oh amazing okay well, I was we'll grateful for we'll get there in a sec so what uh mm-hmm. I, I usually what's uh what's an album that you remember buying yourself like maybe you had some allowance or you got some birthday money or something was there anything that you remember like buying yourself I do actually so um you know my parents would always if I liked an album they would I don't know how they do it. Maybe you could rent CDs back in the day, right? Um, Maybe. They would burn me CDs. But when I got my own money, I remember the first thing I bought because my parents probably wouldn't have liked it too much. Mm -hmm. I went and bought Splinter by The Offspring. Whoa. Okay. So that's a later one. That's the one that had that. Is that the blue cover? It was like the one with the shattered head. Um. I think it was like 2002. I was born in 93. Yeah. So okay. um, I don't um, think I bought my first CD until that time. Yeah. It's, you know, when I, when I talked to a lot of people that were born more in the nineties, they, a lot of them, when I asked that question, they're like, uh, we were using Napster, <laughs> you know, like, or like I, we weren't buying CDs. That's, that was for old people. Um, okay. I totally remember this album cover. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It had that song. Do, 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 do. Uh, I can't remember what it was called. Uh, <laughs> it's called like hit, not hit. Hit that. Hit that. There yeah, you it go. was almost there. There yeah. you go. There you go. Uh, what was the first concert you went to? Spice Girls in, I think, 97. Fuck yeah. Where was that at? <laughs> Probably the Forum. Yeah. I don't know. I'm assuming the Forum. Yeah. Oh, but I remember my mom coming up to me and saying, Marissa, we're going to go see the Spice Girls tonight. And I'm like, what do you mean? And she said, we're going to go see them in person. I'm like, what do you mean? You could do that? Yeah. <laughs> you can see a person, you like a band or a musician in person? <laughs> Someone I was just talking to on the show recently, we kind of talked about that a little bit where like, that's an element to the first concert experience that I think does make it so over the top when it's like if you're seeing somebody that you've been seeing on MTV or on the you know on TV in general or whatever then because it's like yeah you're overwhelmed by the the uh, being in the audience and like you know being in that huge crowd of people you're overwhelmed by the volume of the of what's happening on stage like that's another element to it but also there's the element of I'm looking in person at at these people that I've only seen on this in my living room on a tv you know yeah and i remember i didn't know how to act and there was these like teenage girls standing right next to me like screaming and dancing and i was like i have to do that then so i started dancing and screaming and i was like i think i'm fitting in (laughs) (laughs) i remember that like so vividly yeah oh that's awesome uh i i feel like they probably would have had some pretty big pop star openers too you probably do you remember who even who else played that show I don't. I should probably look into that soon. Yeah, I'll bet it. I'll bet it's someone pretty crazy. Um, probably. I didn't even think about that. You said it was nine. It was probably ninety-seven. You said ninety-seven, maybe ninety-eight. I don't yeah. remember. Oh, uh, I'm I'm so curious. Um, I remember also seeing Backstreet Boys in ninety-nine. So I wonder who they also. <laughs> oh right. If, if they did, yeah, around the same time. Uh, I wonder if that was like the Spice World tour. I think it was. Yeah. Yes, I remember at the time I was obsessed with that album and I had like the t-shirt and probably from the concert. Yeah. Oh. And I had a Spice Girls themed birthday party that year. Could you imagine? It must have been the year. Could you imagine how much that <laughs> that Spice World like legit shirt would go for as like... I know. I wonder if I have it. Oh, man. I mean, it's definitely like a, a kid's small, but... Right. 
yeah 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 but oh man um yeah the uh the the depop value on that guy (laughs) (laughs) right i didn't even think about that that's so funny um so you mentioned uh your your pops throwing you into learning piano and and singing lessons and stuff like that um was i'm i'm assuming piano i'm like with piano was it a thing that like was not that exciting to you because it is it can be kind of like a rigid instrument as a kid like it's not the most exciting thing to play or were you interested in it as well uh uh, (laughs) at the time i wasn't i'm not gonna lie yeah i i remember being in the lessons and constantly asking my teacher can i go get some water can i go to the bathroom (laughs) i just would take every opportunity to not be in the room just make the time go by yeah but then i remember my dad um there was i would he'd play a song or I'd play a song and I wanted to learn it because it was a song I actually liked and not just some like at the time. Now I like Chopin and Beethoven and stuff like that. But Mm -hmm. back then I was not interested. I just wanted to learn songs that I liked. And I remember my dad ended up giving me kind of at-home lessons through him and he would just, he taught me how to learn things by ear, which honestly is the best thing that could have happened at that time. And way more helpful than the actual lessons themselves back in the day. Sure, sure. And then when it came to like singing lessons, uh was it more so like I'm assuming you f- you already had like the intuition to know how to sing, but were they just teaching you different ways to like use your breath or things like that? Like do you remember what those lessons really were? I kind of do. So I actually didn't really know how to sing at all and it was actually probably pretty excruciating. Oh no. <laughs> But I remember my dad, actually, he was very brutally honest with me since that was like his whole career. But he was like, we need to get you some singing lessons because I need to be able to listen to you without <laughs> cringing. No, I'm kidding. Oh, wow. <laughs> so he threw me into lessons. And I just remember uh, they taught me everything like the breathing and how different parts of your voice. But honestly, it didn't click for me all the way until college when I would actually when I actually studied voice. Oh, okay. Interesting. So did your, Mm -hmm. would your note, would we, would like, we all know your dad's work from anything? Like, was he in any, any notable bands or like, did he work on anything we would know? So he wasn't in any bands, but he, uh, or maybe he maybe was like a fill-in, but he um, actually was a recording engineer. Oh, okay. So he recorded, he owned a studio in Orange County um, called IAM, I believe. Uh And he recorded like some Stevie Wonder records. Wow. Yeah, like Stevie. Well, he's not like the main producer, but sure. he was recorded he it, at yeah. his studio and he worked on them. And um, I think Thriller might have, like the master of Thriller might have gone through his studio at one point, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, there's a lot of other things he's worked on. Donna Summer was one that he worked with often. That's awesome. To me, was that's crazy. Yeah. I, so he raised me a lot on like Stevie Wonder, Donna Summer. He tried to culture me really quickly with like things that he was passionate about. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, unfortunately, he had to sell the studio before I was born. So I never got to see it. He also had a pressing plant, which Whoa. he sold because he didn't think it was valuable anymore. <sighs> if, if, <laughs> if only he had a time machine, right? Yeah, he was definitely like used his entire everything that he saved growing up to do these things and right he still has a lot of the equipment oh actually this is really cool there's um the clavichord that was used to record the the um on superstition Uh in my dad's garage whoa yeah and there's like a lot of cool little instruments that he has little stories behind in the garage Oh, I'm such a nerd for that stuff. That's so cool. <laughs> me too. Me too. I'm like, whoa. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, the last record that we did, um, the the dude who produced it, uh, he when he pulled out the microphone that I was going to be recording into, he just like casually was like, yeah, this used to be Nick Caves and uh, like Leonard Cohen recorded uh, the future on this mic. And I was just like, I don't even know what to do with that information. Like, I was just like, I was so stunned by it. It's like, what? Right. What? I know. It's so crazy. And I'm always like, dad, if you ever end up giving this to anyone, it is me. Yeah. <laughs> and I will cherish it. And I will make sure that it's never sold and it's always taken care of. Cause I know he doesn't want to sell anything like that. Sure. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sure that's mm-hmm. something he would love to hand down. Um, so mm-hmm, you definitely. mentioned you mentioned going to the Cobalt and playing this show. Uh, so that obviously it sounds like you were in bands pretty early. What was your first band? My first band was this band called The Lights Around Us. Okay. Um, it was just at the time I had not listened to this kind of music. I was really into like, I grew up on, like I said, like Stevie Wonder, Donna Summer, like Frank Sinatra, that kind of stuff. And whatever was around at the time on the radio. But I remember on, I was in high school and the drumline coach came up to me and said, Hey, you sing, right? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, you should sing in my band. And I was like, what, what kind of band? And so he told me to come to the practice space in Reseda, the one that was, um, I forgot, but everyone would use it back in the day. And I went, my mom took me and it was like a band where I would sing and then there would be like a screamer. Oh, yeah, hell yeah. Yeah. And I was like, what is this kind of music? I had never listened to any kind of like heavy music at that point. Oh, wow. So yeah. And we, it threw me for a loop. My favorite uh, description of that is good cop, bad cop vocals. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I like, I, none of the recordings are on the internet, Thank, thankfully. Yeah. But I mean, there is like an acoustic hot topic set on YouTube somewhere. Oh fuck yeah! We did <laughs> when I was sixteen. Was that at the Northridge but Mall? It was at the Topanga Mall. Oh okay, yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. But um, that exists. But I just—it's funny to think about. That was my first band. We played a few shows at the Cobalt before we RIP'd our band. Um, but one one the first show we ever played, I met some vital people in my life that really showed me the ropes and took me to shows. They're a little bit older than me, so they could drive and what would pick me So up. what was the first show? Well, like with the band? Yeah. What was your first show you ever played? Oh, well, it was the Cobol and it was us. And then that this band called The Victorship yep. that was the band that showed me the ropes. They were really cool. Um, I really wish I could compare it to something um, very kind of heavy, melodic, um, glass jawy. Okay. Um, but it was really cool. They had visuals projected that lined aligned with the timing of the music, which I thought was crazy. And it looked really cool with the cobalt, which was hard to do. I am so curious if I could figure out if I knew and maybe not me, but like, so Nick who plays guitar in Touche, he's a bit younger than me. He's five years younger than me, but he played in a, in a band that played the cobalt all the time, like all the time. And I'm curious if those were maybe people he went to school with or something. I'd be curious to Probably, to know yeah. If he knows um, that band. His band was called Tiptoe Charlie's, if that sounds. It doesn't ring a bell, it's but fine. I'm sure maybe I've seen them before. I used to go there like every weekend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I mean, I played a bazillion shows there too. I mean, that that venue has come up a lot on this show. Um if for people who are from Southern California, you know, cuz when you reflect on it, like I always stand by saying like it is was a blessing and a curse in a way where it's like it was a blessing because it gave so many young people an ability to play a venue but it was a curse because boy did it take advantage of bands <laughs> like it did i know and it was like at the time being a 16 year old girl having to park in that area by oh, myself and walk yeah not the best area no no the, no no it's no. probably gotten maybe a little better now but I don't really hang out on the Cobalt Street anymore. No, and it's long <laughs> gone. It's like that place is long gone. There's a there's I don't know if you've ever seen the um that Valley Museum. Uh if you know about I've that. heard of it. I've seen p- people take pictures at it. Yeah, they have the they have the sign hung up there. They have the Cobalt Cafe sign <laughs> that's there. That's so sick. It's like, yeah, that that's a Valley Relic for sure. I think it's actually 100%. Called the Valley Relics Museum or some shit like that. So it, it I, I need to see this. Yeah, it's crazy. It's it's definitely interesting. Um we did like a photo shoot there for one of for one of our records of, of and it was just more so just a trip to like walk around and look at stuff and be like, "Oh my god. <laughs> look like look how much that's changed or, you know, that kind of a thing." Um, yeah, totally. Uh, what was your first experience recording? Recording. Um, I have a funny answer and I could give you a, the serious answer. I would love both. <laughs> the funny answer is uh, maybe 2002. My best friend at the time, Rachel Green, her name, real name is Rachel Green, like friends. Yeah. Um, we recorded a Avril Lavigne cover album. In, album? Uh, 
<laughs> we just literally are one of her parents friends own a really nice studio i actually don't know who the guy is i wonder if he recorded anything notable but he let me and rachel come in and just record the entire alvaro levine album as a cover and i actually don't have it anymore i don't even know it, oh it's my. in some a vault somewhere <laughs> that was a cool little recording experience okay wait so how was the music being made? Were you just singing over the album or were you making, Probably. were you recording the songs too? No, 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 no. I think it was just an instrumental and I just went into this vocal booth and it felt legit. That's really fun <laughs> though, right? I know. You gave us this whole like real feeling experience. I'm like, okay, I'm Afro Levine. Oh my I God. <laughs> That's very endearing. That's very endearing. Okay. So did the, cool. did the good cop, bad cop vocal band record? Um, so not really. We did like a single recording at Pierce College in their studio. Uh-huh. Um, my first legit like real recording was with my next band called Dante. Okay. Um, we I met them through the Victorship guys. They were their friends. Um, and they were looking for vocalist and I actually like auditioned because I liked their music and they were looking for vocalists, so I went in and ended up I scored the position yeah and um one of the guys in the band Chris his dad was a recording engineer his name's Bob Marlette okay and he recorded like Black Sabbath records Ozzy Osbourne records whoa Skid Row I think he recorded a Strife record whoa interesting super random yeah but his dad did that and the studio was in their house whoa um so we got direct access to that and bob would bob recorded our first bob and chris recorded our first record um and it was a really cool experience because it actually felt pretty legit yeah um, and the recordings are still on spotify and apple music and everything it's the band's called dante but the record's called revisions okay and um what style of music is it rock but like I can't, I can't like if um I'm trying to think of their inspirations at the time probably like glass jaw and deftones type okay sure situation sure. I feel like I feel like elements of that have just followed you as as now you're in flesh water which has elements of deftones as well <laughs> like, exactly it's definitely something I've I've always like dabbled with deftones in a little bit yeah and um yeah that was probably my first that was my first recording experience legitimately okay and uh also i want to say i i apologize for asking you what something you were a part of sounds like i feel like there's a circle of hell that is that is that <laughs> being like hey what does your band sound like and you're just like i i don't want to do this I'm i don't so know bad at comparing <laughs> yeah, exactly. so, i just said the same band like for everything that you ask yeah <laughs> yeah, like, yeah it's kind of like glass jaw deftones um glass jaw deftones uh so what i mean how did you feel recording like was that something you were excited to do is it something that you still enjoy today like do you like the studio process not really yeah <laughs> i'm gonna be honest sure. i actually think the recording process is like the most stressful thing i've ever done with anything as a singer i'd i'd say so i don't really know what it's like i didn't record the guitars on the Fleshwater record um so I haven't experienced as a, an instrumental recording artist yet, instrument recording artist, only mm -hmm. a vocalist. But as a vocalist, it's grueling. It's like you have to make sure your voice is in good condition. And you might think that something sounds good off of a microphone, and then you go to the microphone, you it's like you're hearing your voice for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, as you probably know, you're also a vocalist. I mean, yeah, uh, hearing your isolated vocals is not a fun thing. Also, mm -mm. you're just like, please don't ever do that to me again. Yeah, and it's hours and hours. Yeah. Of, it's a funny process. One funny thing I do remember about that recording process is his dad was best friends with Sebastian Bach. Oh, shit. And Sebastian Bach would randomly just pop in. And just show in up? In our recording session. <laughs> holy shit and he would give me these pep talks oh my god like, all right you're gonna kill it like you're gonna do this like you just need to go in with confidence and i remember when we finished the record i went back to the studio one day just to hang out and sebastian showed up 
to hang out with the dad and he like sang back my own lyrics and he's like I jam that song in the in the car all the time and I was like this is unreal whoa wow yeah. I know that was a really funny part of that whole part of my life the Sebastian Bach stamp of approval <laughs> I know oh my god that was so insane <laughs> shout out him and Bob Marlette and Chris there you go. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so how many band, cause I think the first band that I have for like going through the stuff that you've, you've done, I think I remember, uh, grave school when that band was happening and that was, yeah. I think it was because, um, I was very close with Chris Avis and I think I saw that Chris Avis, you had done like a, a recording thing, like a, one of his like, uh, acoustic session things, right? Yes. That's yeah, we did. Yeah. Uh, how? So how long? Like or like how far out after Dante did great? Did you do grave school? Good question. Dante was probably 2010. Okay. Um, I'd say grave school was probably 2014. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. 2013, 2014. Um, but grave school was super random. I remember Aldo, who played drums in the band. Um, he tweeted and he said, Hey, we need a bass player for this new project we're doing. I had never played bass in my life, sure. <laughs> but I hit him up. I'm like, let's go. I'll learn bass. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be in a band again. And I was like, I'll sing too. Yeah. So I went up to the practice and he just threw a bass at me and I just kind of figured it out. I wasn't the best. I just kind of did it. Yeah. And then saying, I got just, I was just excited to get, to, got to sing in a band again. Sure. And from there we just played shows and practiced and yeah it was so it was a lot of fun that band uh did you so had you been in many bands between those two like it seems like you you oh no that was it no that was it um yeah my other band we ended up just kind of fizzling out um Dante yeah and then a lot of us just got busy I started college so that kind of took over a big part of my time that's also why I ended up fizzling out with grave school too because I just was so overwhelmed and just kept like calling out of practices because I just was college 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 and you know <laughs> yeah no I get it so uh I know that grave school ended up putting something out that ended up I think it ended up on vinyl like it was like an EP on uh that label yes. native sound mm -hmm. uh was that your first just had a... was that your first time Sorry. getting like a, a record put on vinyl it was that was a surreal experience yeah talk to me about they... that yeah, it was just a single. It was just um, this song that we did call Eugene, Oregon, but it, I think it was seven inch. And um, the Native Sound pressed it. I remember being very excited that the Native Sound was even interested because I really liked some bands on their label mm -hmm. um, at the time. And I was like, wow, they care. And then they put out the seven inch and I remember holding it. I was like, whoa, this is crazy. I actually haven't thought about that in so long, but that was a big moment where I was like, whoa, this is real. Yeah. So I saw you recorded that out in Simi Valley. What's the story there? Like who's, uh, I think it was like with Jules Leon or something like that. Like, is there, is that somebody you guys knew or what was the story there? So um, Gina who played in grave school, um, she was in another band called Sheer. Well, they're actually still an active band. They're great. Everyone yeah. should check them out. <laughs> um, Sheer. And at the time, their drummer, I believe he was a drummer, um, Jules was the drummer. Oh, okay. And he, he also was the recording. He was a recording engineer. Um, and yeah, he just offered to do it for us and we did it. And it was it was fun. That um, was my, I hadn't recorded in a very long time, so it was another humbling experience. <laughs> yeah, how was tracking bass the first time for you? Ugh. Oh, I guess I have recorded instruments. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We oh all my God, I we brought it back that. full circle. There you go. Yeah. Uh, it was hard. I remember like, you know, practicing with the metronome and then having to stay on time. But it was kind of more, I remember we were just a DIY, like it sounds however it sounds. When we were, like we weren't going aiming for perfection we kind of liked the non-perfections of it sure sure so, mm -hmm. uh, and then at what like how, where in your timeline did you start doing the mercy stuff 
Um, actually during grade school. Oh yeah. That's what I kind of figured. Like I, I was curious if like, that's when you started doing kind of more solo stuff. So talk to me about the inspiration there and like what, what led you to wanting to do that? Yeah. During grade school, you know, it re-sparked my whole love for being in a band and like playing live music. So I, at the time was very into SoundCloud culture, like Team Sesh, Bones, Lil Peep, GBC, Wikifaze. Yeah. I was so into that world and SoundCloud at the time was so cool to me. Like anyone could just upload anything and it was like a feed and people just upload every day. You could repost it. Um, you could comment it. It just was so interactive and it, to me it was so much fun. Um, and there was just so many cool producers and singers that had no means to become famous. They just wanted to do it for fun. And that was like so cool to me. So we, so I downloaded GarageBand on my computer. Like maybe I already had it on there. And I just made this like stupid beat over like a synth and uploaded it. And it got like some comments, like maybe like three comments and like 20 likes. But I was like, whoa, yeah. this is cool. So I just started doing that more. And then I found some producers that I liked. So I started contact contacting them. Um, I... And we, I sang on some beats that they made and it kind of, I just accidentally joined this whole world, which I'm still kind of involved. Well, I am involved in it still yeah. doing Mercy. At the time I went by Marissa 000, um, super random. I just typed that in one day and it just became sure. what I yeah. did. Sometimes that's just how um, it goes. Yeah, exactly. And then one day I just was like, I want a different name. And I just thought something that might be similar to my first name, Marissa, but little different. Hey there. Do you need to get some merch printed? My incredible sponsors over at Anchorfish Printing has a great deal going on right now. You can get 100 soft style shirts for only 499 bucks. Do the math. That's a great deal. For details, email michael at anchorfishprinting.com. You can also visit anchorfishprinting.com and see what else they have to offer. They are a one-stop shop for all your merch needs. And don't forget to mention the first ever podcast when you place your order. Meeting my boyfriend, Anthony, was a huge catalyst um, into like what Mercy kind of changed into. Um, He was when we met. Sorry, not to get all. Yeah into my relationship now let's go (laughs) we met at a um we met at sound and fury rock uh hardcore love story there you go there you go (laughs) Met at sound and fury but i remember that day we exchanged numbers and we realized we were both really into like the soundcloud world at the same time like the team sesh gbc all the same thing which was hard to find in that hardcore community world because it's like not everyone was into that world sure so immediately bonded us and he produced beats and I like to sing on beats so he started sending me beats and we immediately made a song together within like the first month of talking and and he kind of just showed me a lot of music that I hadn't really dove into like trip-hop music Mm -hmm. Um, I had known a lot of like hip-hop music and SoundCloud beat type stuff but he showed me a whole new world and kind of helped me to where I am today with my mercy sound yeah, I saw that he had, because uh, he, he went by or goes by Death FM, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, like seeing that you had songs with him and then also with John Simmons of Balance and Composure, obviously. Like, yes. uh, did you meet John through the SoundCloud world or had you known him before? I met him through the SoundCloud world. Wow, look at that. That's... I was a massive Balance fan yeah. growing up. Like Tidal Fight, Balance, Tiger's Jaw. Yeah. Like that whole thing. Totally. Touche. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's I remember fun. I remember actually when I was younger going to a record store in Burbank to watch John do an acoustic show and I saw you. Oh, that would have been at, at Backside, right? Yeah, because that's the record store I worked at. Yeah, I don't even think John knows that I, that I went there. Oh, that's, that's awesome. embarrassing. That's awesome. <laughs> I love that. Uh, yeah god i forgot forgot that john played there god man yeah that was a cool experience because i was a big balance fan um but yeah i remember i was telling anthony i said i really like it's kind of crazy but 
the guy who sings in like one of my favorite bands is doing this like in this genre now along with how wicca phase joined well wicca phase was in the genre as well right and i was like i think i'm gonna hit him up and see if he'd be down to sing on a mercy track and then i hit up john and i literally just messaged him I'm like hey big fan would you be interested in singing on one of my songs he's like i like your music too yes and i was like you like my music too <laughs> best feeling that's the best yeah feeling. yeah that's so cool that's I, I love that and and, and and then we became honestly best friends <laughs> he's the sickest and you know what's so funny is i remember when we before we got uh the tour before Vane joined our tour last year um i remember john telling me that he's like oh yeah i know anthony really well because he produced uh one of the creeks things and i was like he what like it just blew my mind i was like that's a two people like like because all i knew about Vane was just what they sounded like i didn't know that anthony was involved in that world and also i know yeah. anthony I, I feel like anthony's maybe quite a bit younger than john i don't i don't know for sure on that but yeah, anthony's a a 90 yeah 94 baby yeah so i again i was just like wow that's really crazy so um so john was like and then john was the first person to be like you and anthony are gonna get along really well and i was like are we okay cool and he's like dude you guys are gonna get along so well and he called anthony's it, the sickest yeah yeah uh, exactly yeah i remember that anthony so um once we recorded the song me and john remotely like he recorded his part over what i sent him he ended up coming over because i was like we should do a video for this and anthony filmed a video of me and john in my parents backyard oh that's amazing and then that's how they met and then john found out that anthony produces so they just did a record together which was cool yeah that's awesome that's awesome so mm -hmm. did you, uh i one question i might have uh i'm curious where it's at actually in your timeline um is first tour did grave school tour we never toured no okay so what but what's the first tour you ever did my first tour was with Wicca Phase. Oh shit! Yeah, um, 2018, Wicca Phase, Horsehead, Fantasy Camp, Mercy. Wow! And how was that? Yeah, it was so much fun. I mean, I, um, had, you know, like I said, I was a big Tigerstraw fan back in the day, and then I became a big Wicca Phase fan separately. I don't even think I like. Oh yeah, I definitely realized that his voice is very distinct, but um. Yeah, I ended up becoming friends with Matt Wren um, because he started Dark Medicine with Adam, which is, um, I think at the time they considered it a label. I'm not sure if it's still a label, but I know that they'd release clothes and um, merch and stuff like that now. Um, but yeah, they ended up contacting me and asking if I'd do the tour and I had never done one before. So I was definitely nervous and I asked Anthony if he would come, but he was like, no, I'm going to have you do this one on your own and learn your own ropes. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. So he denied my offer of him coming just so I could learn quickly. <laughs> so, yeah, I wanted to ask, like, how did, what, what was the live setup? Like, were you using, was it just you and a laptop? Did you have someone playing it, playing the beats? Like, what, what was the setup? It was just me and a laptop. Yeah. Which was very convenient for tour because I didn't have to bring anything really. Oh, yeah. But I did have a little deal with fantasy camp where he would come out and like i had a little intro track that he would come out first and start for me <laughs> so i could walk out to it so yeah. that was the one thing that i had someone do for me <laughs> and how long was the tour um the tour was only i'd say like two and a half weeks it felt longer but it was probably just because it was my first one. Oh, absolutely um, yeah the first the first one even if it's like six days it feels like a two months sometimes yeah but I remember it was so much fun and it was with the best people and I love everyone that was on that tour. Where did it and where did it all go? What part of the It US? was just West Coast. Okay. So we did like Los Angeles, San Diego, San Francisco. We went all the way up to Vancouver. Um back down, but it was so much fun. Because it was just I got to ask, just because it was you and a laptop and I'm were you driving separately? Were you like in a car? What was your deal? No, so, you know, I this is a so side note from like everything, but I have um, this problem where I get really easily triggered vertigo. Okay. So I can't drive for long periods of time. I can't drive for more than like an hour okay. without getting dizzy. Sure. So I was like, I can't do this drive. And luckily Adam was like, I'm just going to throw everyone in one van. 
So it was just, but luckily we're all kind of just laptops. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) We all fit in one van, everyone on the entire tour package, including Matt Wren, who did the merch and hung out. I was going to ask how, uh, how was your experience getting into Canada the first time? Was it fine? Oh, no, it was not fine. We got pulled over. No, it was getting out of Canada. That was the the weird thing. Oh, getting back in the U.S. Yeah, they asked Matt, or no, not Matt. The, we had a driver. They asked the driver if he was left or right-handed, and he said left-handed. And they're like, oh, well, the lock looks like it was put on right-handed, so now we have to go question you guys. What? It was like some weird fuck? thing. And so we got pulled to the side. We're on our way to Portland. And we got pulled to the side. It took hours and we had to cancel Portland. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. It was a bummer because I had never been to Portland. But yeah, Jesus. Uh, mm-hmm. So, I mean, what did it feel like rec- like playing live the first time and like that? Were you, what kind of, did you find yourself like being a little stiff up there or were you just like all in it being very, you know, outgoing on stage like what do you remember I mean I I remember I was I was definitely nervous I definitely was nervous um it's a whole different ball game not having an instrument not being with a whole band on stage and just being you yeah it's like doing stand-up comedy or something (laughs) yeah exactly it was so nerve-wracking because literally I just go up there with a microphone um but as the tour went on as most as this happens for most people, it just gets more comfortable day to day. You start to kind of just learn what you like to do up there, your little moves and your little things you like to say. And if you like to say anything at all. Um, what was the best show? The best show. I loved Seattle. Okay. The venue was cool. The st- The audience was very reactive, like with Wicca- with everyone, honestly. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of fun, that show. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. So, uh, so where in the timeline do you end up moving to Massachusetts and then Flushwater starting? Um, so what was it during the pandemic 2020? We were bored. (laughs) Well, they actually already, as most people were, um, but they had actually recorded the Flushwater demos a very long time before 2020. I want to say like 2017. Oh, okay. 2018 i don't know exactly but they wanted to start a rock band a very long time ago and um i had the demos on my phone for years and they always were looking for a vocalist anthony tried being just the vocalist but he was like no i think it would be cool to have someone else they had other people that tried it and then i was just bored one day during the pandemic and i (laughs) said hey anthony do you care if i try recording an idea over one of these songs you guys I was like you guys truly like don't won't offend me if you don't like it I just am bored and I've always wanted to I miss singing on rock music so he was like yeah go for it whatever you have it so I recorded our song Linda Claire in my bedroom and I wrote it pretty quickly that day it just kind of came to me and I just recorded it and I sent it over and I remember Matt and Anthony just going yeah (laughs) You're, you're the vocalist. <laughs> that's so sick. And that's that song blew up. Like, that song's, like, super popular. So fucking good on you. Well, thank you. Yeah, I remember going to work that day. I worked at a grocery store, and I went to the grocery store, and I remember telling all my coworkers, I'm in a band again. Yeah. <laughs> As of, like, 20 minutes ago. <laughs> so, I mean, like, you said, like, those demos were recorded so long ago. Like, had they had they in their brains where they like this band isn't really a band or like, was it something they're willing to kind of pick back up? Like after you No, did that? they were, they were always trying to make that thing work. Oh, interesting. They That's had cool. Yeah. They were like, it, not, I wouldn't say auditioning, but they were like going through people trying to find the best fit for like every instrument in the band, like for a very long time and had so many different like vocal demos. I think Anthony wrote some stuff. Um, and yeah. And then the second we clicked with me as the vocalist, we just went for it. And Anthony flew out to LA and we, at the time I lived with my parents and he came and we just, I had my little setup in my room that I did for mercy and me and him just recorded 
the whole demo in my parents' house um, vocally. Yeah. Um, within like a few days. And then we were bored and we're like, we should just upload. It was like 11 p.m. one night. And we're like, we should just upload this. We had like a shitty mix, you know, it was just a demo. Yeah. At first, we're going to wait to like actually record it. But we're like, no, these demos are kind of like, okay. <laughs> Yeah. So we just uploaded it and actually did okay. And we're like, whoa, what the? Yeah, look at that. That's awesome. And yeah. that is, I noticed those uh, those cassettes on Discogs go for quite a lot of money too. So that's also <laughs> fucking sick. <laughs> like, I noticed that. That's so crazy to me. It literally blows my mind. Yeah. So then how much preparation and like what was the writing process like for the LP that's now out, the We're Not Here to Be Loved record? Um. That was, I, like, I don't really have much to do with the instrumentation behind the record. That's more so, like, Anthony and Matt's doing. Um, they wrote a lot of it, and then what would happen is they would send me the demos, and I would just record ideas over it. But the vocals for that record took way longer than the instruments, I will say that. Mm, okay. Um, also, <laughs> with me and Anthony being partners um we're very brutally honest with each other and we also both have vocalist syndrome because we're both vocal vocalists uh -huh. yeah, yeah yeah so we'll like butt heads a lot like we'll i'll come up with a part for a song and then he'll come up with a part for the same part oh, of the yeah. song yeah and he'll be like i want this part to be there and i'll say i want my part to be there and we'll butt heads and then we'll spend like there was our song bald pate driver uh-huh um that song was like a month's process of um kind of me and him bickering over which part should go where and we ended up just layering both of our ideas there you go that's the compromise yeah. i was gonna say <laughs> well, I, just... I wondered if it, if matt ever had to be the person to to make the decision or was it always settled between the two of you Honestly, most of the time just settled between the two of us. But I mean, and obviously I'm sure Matt probably was like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, me and Anthony definitely, uh, it's funny. Our writing process together is funny vocally, but it's fun. It's all fun. And we hug it out at the end and we know that it has to just do with the band and not with our relationship if we do bicker about it. It's incredibly <laughs> responsible. I like it. Yes. So uh, what was it like recording with Kurt Ballou? He's awesome. Uh, I never, I was never like a big converge head growing up. That was never like the genre that I deep dove into. Sure. Anthony on the other end, massive converge and Matt, I think mostly everyone in vain. Yeah, I would think so. Ooh. Yeah, for sure. They're all <laughs> huge converge heads. So for them, I was very excited for them to be able to have this opportunity. Um, so as an outsider being like happy for my boyfriend and my friends, it was really cool to watch and see them like kind of ask him questions and just watch this like kind of interview process yeah and they were just both it was just a lot of fun a lot of it um yeah kurt definitely knows what he's doing and it was a really cool process and he made the record sound really good i was curious well a that kind of puts you in a good position because you because you're not connected in that sort of fandom way like you probably don't have a, the same feelings as you're going in to record the vocals or you're just like you're not trying to impress this person you're just doing your part because you're because you never had that connection you know it's like and in a way I'm sure that makes it easier for for Kurt too because he's just like mm -hmm. oh this person's just talking to me like a musician as opposed to a fan um I know I ended up actually like one of the things me and Kurt would talk about is it was kind of funny we'd both laugh about it but I would see his equipment and be like, oh, this reminds me of my dad. And then he, it, it was funny, like him and I would kind of communicate with my dad for Kurt and they'd kind of ask each other questions on, um, through my texting. I'd be like, dad, he has this. Do you have that? And it was, that was like the one thing that we would, because they were both recording engineers. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I definitely thought about deep diving into like, Converge's discography before just to be like hyped I'd be like whoa I'm working with this guy yeah but I also was like nah I'm just kind of kind of yeah <laughs> not make myself nervous if I end up really liking that totally and you know <laughs> um I've you, this has come up once or twice on the show but like um I haven't had Kurt on I at some point I'm gonna definitely have him on here but like the 
my favorite thing in the world is when producers who are known for a specific sound uh, step outside of that and do a band that is less expected, you know, F- mm-hmm. though Fleshwater is obviously like, you know, has aggressive elements to it and it's like a loud rock band. Vocally, it's different than what he does more, ca- mm-hmm. you know, whatever. So like, I was curious what it was like recording vocals with him. Was he giving pointers? Was he uh, like giving any advice or was he just sort of like trusted in the band and like hit and record? Well, so it's funny you mentioned that. So we actually didn't end up recording vocals with him. Oh, interesting. Okay. So we did a, for a second closet, the song closet. We started in the studio with him vocally, but then we ended up running out of time, mostly because Anthony and Matt love talking to him about Converge. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, mm. I'd be on the couch sometimes, like looking at my watch, like, all right, guys. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're running out of time here. This is running out of time. Yeah. Yeah. Time is But money. I remember it. The one song we did almost record with him vocally, we definitely, like, I could tell he hadn't recorded a band, like, um, like us. Um, I mean, I'm literally not dissing him at all. Like, he was the best and he gave great advice. But um, I would, I definitely, I had immediately, like, was having, like, some disagreements vocally. And I was like, you know, I mean, he ended up just trusting us and it came, I'm sure, I think he liked the product. (laughs) Sure. I mean, you definitely did, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he was, I could tell he hadn't recorded much like us before. Yeah. Um, not saying that's a bad thing, but yes, yeah, it was a new experience for all of us. Totally. <laughs> like, I mean, he did, yeah. he did like a Joyce Manor record a couple of years ago. And I remember just being like, wow, like that is, I'm very curious to hear what that's going to sound like, you know? Yeah, like, exactly. I didn't even know that. I need to listen to it. Isn't that crazy? I think it's, was it the last one or no, not the last one. Maybe. Um, my brain doesn't work as the pandemic just erased everything for me yeah, i totally get it's it it's not there anymore maybe yeah. that was the one before last yeah it was the one before last the million dollars to kill me record i think was the, oh. kurt, the kurt record uh um, check it out but uh but yeah and also i mean like you, did you so did you guys just record it at home the vocals yeah so we ended up recording it in jeremy's bedroom closet love it love it i mean they sound <laughs> fucking great so it's like you know it's a it's a it, it shows you. that you don't need to in the fancy studio all the time for things like that you know we're happy that kurt didn't see us recording the vocals because uh we were (laughs) he would have killed our technique would have been angry at our techniques (laughs) because you know we would move the microphone all the time and (laughs) yep very he probably would have had to keep it in one place but hopefully he didn't notice (laughs) uh he's pretty crazy at like um we my other band we recorded uh we recorded some songs and then we had him mix it and then we were so blown away because he like reamped everything and just made it completely sound like a kurt record so like what he's able to do when it comes time to mixing i'm sure he took you know elements of what you guys did vocally and like maybe did did put a little bit of kurt on them and it just maybe in the in the terms of like placement uh, in the songs or things like that because he did mix the record right yeah oh yeah he mixed it yeah it was i was really impressed with everything he did with the mixing um it was a really cool process and i really like how it came out and he definitely made it sound curt like you can tell he recorded it yeah and mixed it but it's still something completely new to him yeah and yeah i agree I love it so how long was that record done before it ended up uh getting announced and being out on, on coming out on closed casket like a year yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know how the daddy should have kept your pressing plant yeah <laughs> yep yep yeah yep. but that is the whole you know it's like waiting for the record to actually get back to us is the waiting part so at this point what what do you feel like the future holds for Fleshwater? is it something that you all like to do as like this thing on the side is it something that the band wants to take a little more seriously and like do more records try to tour more like wh- where do you think it lands in in everybody's sort of musical output so something that a lot of I've noticed just with people talking on the internet and I'd be a liar to say I don't see some things, but <laughs> I've noticed that people think that like, you know, Fleshwater is a side project or, you know, they think that they're not sure what's a side project and what's not. How we all work is everything is like a main project. So 
we're going to take our time with flesh water. Then we're going to take, they're going to take their time with vein. And then we're going to take, I'm going to take my time with mercy. And like, they have other projects too, like living weapon. And then they have other projects that aren't even announced yet. Most likely like they are constantly working on music. Um, and it's just one of those things where we feel like we just have to put our all into everything. And so when we have time, we're kind of learning that, you know, it does get a little overwhelming because especially I feel for the vein guys because they're, you know, in Flushwater too. So they just got off this three month tour and then they're going to be home for four days. And then we have to do this full U.S. Flushwater tour. Yeah. And then go to Europe. And then I'm sure that right at when that's done, they have to probably do something for vein again. Um, <laughs> they're very busy. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I mean, just spending time on the road with them, they are, uh, they are people that definitely seem to embrace the grind. Oh yeah. That's all they, that's all like, I'm, I'm not sure if I've said this on your podcast today, but we all lived together for two years. I mean, I just moved out recently, um, because I couldn't, you know, as a girl living with as many boys as I was with one bathroom, I can only handle so much, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, that's all they're ever doing is either writing music or playing video games, but Uh mainly writing music. (laughs) I was impressed by how much they played video games on tour. (laughs) They're huge nerds. It's adorable. (laughs) It was absolutely adorable. (laughs) They bring their monitor in the van and they just play when we're driving, which I wish that I liked video games that much because it would probably help pass the time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was it was so charming. It was so charming. Oh, I know. They're so, yeah. They're so, like, the most innocent people. <laughs> <laughs> just truly just living to grind music and play their games. Yeah. I'll... <laughs> I'll never forget when we were, as you know, when we were in uh, Montana and we we're watching Matt skateboard in the back of the venue. Oh. And Elliot, Elliot said, uh, man, that guy's just begging for a tour ender. And then we got the call like, <laughs> like not long after, like uh, Matt broke his wrist. <laughs> we were like, oh, yeah. no, I had a feeling. I remember I, I, after that, I was like, Matt, you are not bringing a skateboard on a Fleshwater tour ever. <laughs> straight up. Straight <laughs> up. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm so glad he healed and, and everything ended up being fine. But like. Oh, me too. That, that was so sad. I felt bad. The camaraderie that came. I mean, I, I'm sure you've heard this the billion times, but like the camaraderie that really came from when all the, all the drummers on that tour stepped up to like learn songs immediately. It was, and like just me not being one of them. Cause I don't, I can't play drums, but like standing side stage and watching everybody come together to do this. It was the coolest feeling of like, this is a family tour. And it made me so happy to just to be able to be a part of that, you know, and be like, this is yeah. so, yeah. So I have nothing. But I also remember Anthony love. just, yeah, I'm sure that was probably the coolest experience. I remember Anthony telling me like, wow, everyone's really, helping us out and it's been so much fun and then just that's that tour has a lot of funny stories that i enjoyed hearing (laughs) i'm not saying that any of the other fan guys wouldn't do this but i just know anthony being my partner that he will not he'll do anything to not have to cancel a show i love that i that's the coolest thing (laughs) in the entire world yeah yeah exactly and it's so yeah okay so now that we've obviously comfortably talked about this but uh for listeners at home they uh the first day of our tour with uh, touche vein tour uh they had their van broken into and all their backpacks stolen so they lost their passport or he lost his passport so Mm -hmm. as the tour was going on it was realized we have to get into canada he didn't have his passport and uh was like the only place he can get an appointment was in puerto rico (laughs) and that's when he pulled me aside and was like hey uh, and i was like why why is this a secret a you're the funniest person on earth and then um yeah and then uh he ended up making it happen so it was like after connecticut uh flew to puerto rico and then we played boston the next day the next day and he and hadn't he, slept and he made it on time i could not believe it when he walked like an in, hour before they play when he walked into the venue and i saw him i just started laughing hysterically i was just like <laughs> holy shit you made it happen oh my god like i said with the entire gift shop 
<laughs> it looked like he had been there for like a month. <laughs> oh my God. What a legend. What a legend. Okay. We could we could start gushing about how much we love this man. Um, yes. <laughs> let me let me hit you with the last question, which was when was the first time you felt like you were doing the thing you'd been working so hard towards? Okay. So I truly want to say it's during the Fleshwater era. Um, you know, growing up, I, I, like I said, I loved the whole title fight, balance and composure, touche <laughs> movement of time. Yeah. <laughs> and I would watch countless YouTube videos of just crowd interaction and just these crazy shows where people are like jumping off the stage, screaming the words. And I was like, that's the dream. That's literally the cool. I could not imagine someone yelling my words in my face. Like, I'll cry. And that didn't happen until Fleshwater, a Fleshwater show. And I just remember being on stage and seeing like these people with their fingers pointing and like singing along. And I'm like, this, this is it. This is everything I've dreamed of. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. What did you feel that pretty quickly? Like once you started playing shows, like was did you feel that reaction pretty quickly from everybody? Um, it was kind of a slow burn, I'd say. Like at first, people weren't sure. I I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was also because I was nervous and I wasn't really looking into the crowd as much as I probably could have been. <laughs> but now, once I got more comfortable and I started noticing people um, doing that, I got teary eyed. It's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, thank you so much for hanging out today, Marissa. This has been a blast. I appreciate you so much. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I listened to this podcast and I love it and I'm so honored to be a part of it. And that is our show. Thank you so much to Marissa for coming on and thank you for listening. Reminder, there's a bonus episode available right now. If you head on over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon, where Marissa answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. And once again, if you enjoyed this, please subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, wherever it is you're listening to this. Getting a positive rating and review would mean oh so much. All right. Take care of yourself. Be good. Bye bye.